Dance Your Heart on Fire podcast, episode number 25. Of course, my, my whole inspiration for doing this, uh, I realized that I can't change and make anything grow, but you, you're one of my seeds, you know? Because uh, you've been there from the beginning. You were there when I produced the first Kizomba Festival in the U.S. And all I really can do as a person, um, I don't have the mass audience uh, at the time like some people have now, but I planted seeds. And many of those seeds blossomed and a lot of communities around the U.S. ended up having bachata in Kizomba now. Sé que no fui en tu vida el hombre más perfecto pero el hombre de tus sueños. Welcome to the Dance Your Heart on Fire podcast, the podcast dedicated to inspiring dancers worldwide whose hearts have been touched by music and dance. The universal language of dance and music is spoken by many of us throughout the world. We want to motivate the dancer in you by sharing stories, insights, and ideas to enhance your journey. Join us now with your host, Charles Ogar. Welcome, welcome everyone to another episode of the Dance Your Heart on Fire podcast. And today our special guest is Jorge Elizondo. If you have not heard of Jorge Elizondo, he has been definitely one of the most influential um, bachata instructors and organizers here in North America, kind of since I've been dancing. And his festival is also one of my very first dance festivals a few years ago, not too long ago. So it's awesome to have him here on the show to kind of tell us a history about bachata, especially here, um, getting it grown in North America, and then also seeing what he's doing to continue to enhance our dancing, primarily through bachata, but also through some other dance genres as well. How are you doing today, Jorge? I'm doing great. Thank you for having me today. Not a problem, not a problem. So, um, I told our audience a little bit about you, but um, can you go ahead and give our audience a little snapshot of what your life is like today, and then we'll get we'll delve a little bit into your history. Uh, my life today is um, been pushing bachata to the maximum. You know, uh, my career's changed from instructor to more organization. I promote the various festivals around the world and. And, you know, as time changes, you change roles. And my role now is to seek out the talent that's, you know, being generated around the world and bringing them together to teach people how to dance because bachata continues to grow and continues to be fused with other dances. And, you know, my job is to go out there, find the best and bring them to the people so everyone can enjoy a higher level and a different way of dancing bachata. Awesome. Awesome. And can you go ahead and let our audience know how many festivals you're affiliated with currently today well i produce my own dallas bachata festival mm -hmm. i also produce the shanghai bachata festival with my two partners lily and jean i'm also a event director for new jersey bachata kizomba festival and a miami bachata festival for pablo viches mm -hmm. and i also help um uh, moab bachata salsa festival as well so i'm, I'm involved in quite a bit of events and I'm also the, the, I guess, the person in charge of the Bachata Masters competition. I go ahead and organize that for Pablo Beaches in Madrid, where we find the best champions of Bachata and they compete against each other. So nice. I have the honor to, to be the scorekeeper and figure out who's the champion at the end of the competition. That's awesome. That's awesome. So obviously spreading the love for Bachata across 
several countries across the world, which is pretty awesome. So uh, now that our audience has a little bit of an idea of what you do today, um, obviously, like you were saying before, you kind of transitioned from an instructor to more of an organization role. So um, before you even started to teach bachata, you had to learn bachata. So let's go back in time and let our audience know how you got first introduced to bachata. Well, before I was even a dancer, I was a music ed educator. I've been playing saxophone for over 20 years. And and one day I fell into salsa dancing. And while learning to salsa dance and being restricted by all the rules that had to be going on with salsa, mm -hmm. all my teachers telling me, you can't do this, you can't do this, stick with the one, do this, learn on two. And it was so much that when bachata was introduced to me, it was fantastic because all they taught me was uh, my left left to right basic and forward and back and I decided I was going to make up what I wanted to do yeah. and incorporate everything I know into bachata and there was no rules nobody told me I could or couldn't do that and it was very refreshing and and I enjoyed it tremendously awesome awesome and where did that happen um, I learned my basic step at a local club here in McAllen you know a gentleman named Rudy pulled me and my partner Marissa aside and and just showed us our, our basic. And from there, I started fusing salsa because I, I was really enjoying salsa at the, at the time, like the figures. Mm -hmm. But I didn't like the rules. So I took the figures and incorporated them into bachata. And I started developing some pretty interesting things into bachata when everyone was just going side to side and forward and back pretty yeah. much. Yeah, Not like interesting. A, yeah, I hear you. Is this the same Marissa that's affiliated with the Rhythm Room? Yes. Ah, okay so i know you're from the valley but i'm pretty sure you have history there as well um i was there earlier teaching at the rhythm room some kizomba but that's pretty awesome and i also used to play the fact the saxophone when i was early uh younger like in awesome. middle school i think i played the alto sax so i haven't played it in a while but um it was definitely one of my my favorite interesting instruments because of the sound of course kenny g was my inspiration people laugh but uh he touches many people. And, yeah, uh, for sure. I, and I like to inspire people, so he inspired me. Awesome. So um, you learned your basics. Um, you talked about you wanted to fuse a little bit of the salsa because you just wanted something to be more expressive, more creative, more unique to you. Um, how long did that go on? And then when did you start deciding to teach bachata? Um, you know, I was just... I didn't think I was doing anything special. I was just dancing back home in McAllen, doing my own thing. And one day I went to the Rueda Congress in Miami and I took my first Bachata Rueda workshop with Seymour and Christina from Hips on Fire, Boston. And and I loved casino. That's why I went to, to the Rueda Congress because I love dancing in groups and working together. And when I saw Bachata Rueda for the first time, you know, I took a one-hour class Sunday afternoon, and the first thing I did when I arrived Monday night was call everyone I could get a hold of, and we I taught them everything I learned that day. And um, that's kind of when I first started teaching was, was that moment when I shared everything I learned that day, and then it was only one day worth of information, so I had to develop as many things as I could because mm -hmm. one class was not enough to continue this or other thing. And since no one was there to tell me what I couldn't and couldn't do, I developed my own form of bachata rueda. Mm -hmm. Even though Hips and Fire seems to have like this massive catalog of moves already organized, but Boston to McAllen, we were so far away, 
YouTube didn't exist then. <laughs> and so I, I ended up creating my own form of bachata rueda, even though they're the ones I learned it from at the very, very beginning. Uh, okay. I remember participating in the bachata rueda. My first time I went to your Dallas bachata festival. I don't remember what year it was. Um, but yeah, I remember the popcorn move and there are some other moves <laughs> that um, you had kind of named and kind of coined with those particular yes. terms. Yes, sir. So that bachata rueda. Uh-huh. So that bachata rueda starts in, you said you were in Florida? Yeah, this was 2000, 2005 is when everything started rolling. And mm-hmm. what happened specifically was that I met this wonderful friend of mine named Brenda from New York City. And I told her, you know, I've taken this to heart, this bachata rueda class, and I'm bringing it to Texas and I'm teaching it. And she's like, why don't you teach it in New York? And this is when my my eyes opened up, you know, and she blew my mind. She's like, teach it here. And I go, well, no one's inviting me. How am I going to teach in New York? Such an important city in dance. And she's like, you rent a studio. I tell my friends and you teach. And I was just completely shocked and amazed that it was as simple as that. Just rent a studio and throw it out there. Mm-hmm. And uh, I did. I went to New York that following January, like three months later, And I taught my first ever class in New York City, and 15 people showed up. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then, of course, we targeted the casineros because I knew that if I'm going to attract anyone, it's going to be the casino people. And For sure. they showed up. They showed up. And uh, it just, wow, my eyes were open. I was surprised that it worked, and then people came, and and they liked it. Awesome. So that was the first step. That was the first step. That was in January. Uh-huh. And then, so- go ahead. I was just I was just gonna ask. Um, so you started teaching bachata. Was this while you were teaching music still? Because I'm pretty sure there was a transition be- before you went to start teaching bachata full time. Yeah. Uh, yes, sir. That's a uh, like I said. I went in January 2006, and then um, I was still a school teacher at a middle school in La Grulla, Texas, teaching mm-hmm. low income students. And I was actually teaching them bachata and salsa and bachata rueda at the nice. school. Fantastic. And um, and May came around, and that's when I just that's when I you know the first person to help me understand how to put my tour together was Lee Rios. He helped me organize something in San Antonio. Mm-hmm. Helped me decide what how to how to do it, how to approach it. And then I went up to I think the the uh, the Capitol Salsa Congress in mm-hmm. DC. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And since I was already going to be up there, I found in two other promoters who said I would be happy to to bring bachata. And they were all surprised because, you know, in that first session, I, I offered eight hours of bachata boot camp. And oh, wow. no one had ever heard of eight hours of bachata class ever. Mm-hmm. And I was like, what are you going to do for eight hours? And I go, don't worry. I have a lot of material. I'll train people. I'll get them excited about bachata. And I taught in Virginia and I taught in, in a rock Rockville, it's a suburb. I'm not sure if I'm saying the the name correctly, but it's in the DC area. Okay, and, and um, and those were my first three workshops, and and they went really really well. And then I continued that summer, Salt Lake City and, and various other cities. And then September came, and I had to make the decision: Am I quitting my teaching job and doing this full time? And mm-hmm. with uh, with uh, God's blessing, I got a the right decision. I quit teaching and I did this full time. Nice, nice, that's nice. That's how it all started. So yeah, I want to set the tone or for the audience that's listening now. So this was back in 2005. Obviously, now in 2016, bachata is everywhere. At every salsa festival, there's always like a, a bachata component. 
So this for this to be happening, it was like when Bachata was first getting introduced to these salsa festivals, correct? Yeah, nobody wanted it. It was a struggle. It was very difficult to to convince these promoters. And the first Congress to embrace me was actually uh, that January I was in New York. And then February, Chicago Salsa Congress gave me the first opportunity in 2006 to teach Bachata Rueda. That's crazy. They, I was I just taught there this year <laughs> in 2016, yeah, 20 a, years later. It's a massive event. And mm. they put me in the small room and I had over 150 attendees. And I was teaching them how to do Bachata Rueda under 55 minutes. And I got it. I got it. And they loved it. And and it was awesome. You know, thanks to them. That was my first big step to pushing Bachata. That's awesome. Because it's, it's interesting to see the parallels with Kizoma starting to grow now. And me like i'm teaching full-time i've been at it for two years and i know you've kind of been watching me because i went to your first uh dance festival from way back when you know and now i'm teaching at your festival for a couple i think it's the third year now i think i'm teaching at the dallas machata festival but yeah it's just been it's been awesome to see that growth but now to see you explain some of those same parallels it kind of gives me perspective and gives me like a little ray of hope, like it's possible to kind of do what you love to do and, and make an impact and inspire people, you know? Of course, my, my whole inspiration for doing this, uh, I realized that I can't change and make anything grow, but you, you're you one of my seeds, you know? Because mm-hmm. uh, you've been there from the beginning. You were there when I produced the first Kizomba Festival in the mm-hmm. U.S. And all I really can do as a person, um, I don't have the mass audience uh at the time like some people have now but Mm -hmm. i planted seeds and many of those seeds blossomed and a lot of communities around the u.s ended up having bachata and kizomba now Mm -hmm. because i went in there and i planted an idea into someone and inspired them to to continue growing their own scene because i don't have the power to do that in one in one visit but i do have uh i can inspire someone to maybe take initiative and and run with it and and it happened. Definitely. Now there's bachata everywhere and all over the world, actually. Mm-hmm. And for our audience that's listening, I want I want to kind of take a side note before we continue um, with Jorge's story and let you guys know the history of me learning Kizomba was actually at the festival um, that Jorge organized. It was June of 2012. Um, he had several artists in from Spain teaching bachata and Kizomba, and that was my first official Kizomba class that's where I kind of got hooked that's where I started taking all these workshops and things like that so if it wasn't for that festival it would have been probably later on but like he definitely planted the seed and now um, I'm doing it full time for two years so I definitely understand what you're saying there Jorge so thank you for creating that opportunity and having that seed kind of planted you know and then you got to kind of see them grow over the years you know of course, we got to give credit to Pablo and Ivan because mm-hmm. they they pushed me and they had the vision and and I'm the guy that made it happen and all three of us together brought Kizomba to the next level in the U.S. Yes, we were far behind, but now with that event, you know, thirty forty people got certified and and they all went their ways. You know, yeah, Atlanta, sure. Austin, Houston, Dallas, mm-hmm. and all over the place. I mean, this was a big step for Kizomba. Let's take a quick moment to thank our sponsors. Have you been looking to level up your Kizomba, but you don't have the local instructors to take you there? Are you looking for something concrete to practice with your Kizomba partner? Or are you looking for Kizomba lessons that you can take on your schedule in the comfort of your home? If you answered yes to any of these questions, look no further. LearnToKiz.com is what you need. 
progressive step-by-step lessons that you can take at your pace in the comfort of your home or anywhere with a solid internet connection on your PC, Mac, or any smartphone. New videos are added every month. You can try this awesome resource out 30 days free at learntokids.com slash podcast. After the 30 days free, it's only a low $15 per month. But again, the special offer for the Dance Your Heart On Fire listeners, 30 days free at learntokids.com slash podcast. You won't find this offer anywhere else. Learntokids.com slash podcast. And now back to our show. Awesome, awesome, awesome. So um, you mentioned when you were pushing bachata and it was hard for the, the... the salsa festivals to embrace it and things like that. Um, were there any other obstacles that you faced trying to get bachata to grow and how did you overcome those obstacles? Um, I'll tell you how I overcame the, the obstacle. It's uh, I decided to, to take the initiative and, and I got the wisdom and the, and the courage to just go ahead. And, and this was the, this was what I did. Uh, unlike other artists or other promoters i took the initiative and i booked as many cities as i could paid my own way paid my own hotel my own flights and i always gave everyone a good percentage of my earnings and this allowed them to say yes because they had no fees they had no no way to lose money they only had an opportunity to make money and i would take all the expenses up front and this opened the door because now no one was afraid to try bachata because I took away the the scary factor, which is losing money. And I just started booking. I would call and call every studio I could find. I used the internet to find any studio. And again, Google uh, Google wasn't that great. YouTube wasn't really around. Mm-hmm. It wasn't so much out there like now you can google anything and you'll find out exactly what's going on in each city exactly back then i had to call and convince people that have never talked to me before and mm-hmm. convince them to trust me and um so there was a struggle it was a struggle to convince people to give me an opportunity when they didn't know who i was and and i want every city one by one as if i built relationships i got to meet the bachateros around the u.s i got to meet studio owners who supported me so I just didn't go once. It was this was like I go once and okay, I'll be back in six months. I'll be back again, building up these scenes little by little. And um, the salsa scene was a different story, but you know, luckily there was several salseros out there like Shaka Brown. Um, you know, I know Yamulei loves bachata. They always kind of incorporated bachata into the routine. So mm-hmm. people like these that are key, showing salsa people that bachata can be cool. That helped a lot as well. Um, I'm over here coming and, and it's really interesting because many of them knew I was a beginner a year prior to when I started this, mm. but, um, but since no one was doing bachata at a higher level, no one could tell me I couldn't do it or not do it for sure. <laughs> but I did take it seriously. And since I have a teaching background and I've been an educator my whole life, I've been able to educate people properly to good techniques for bachata and, and grow quickly. And, um, this helped a lot. Awesome. 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 So. Um, I've I've heard throughout my my dance journey of being a full time instructor. Obviously, I've heard your name pop up different times, and I've heard some of your international travels and things like that. So, could you give our audience about an idea of some of the places or have wide of a influence you were able to have, and how many places you were able to visit during that? Um, I guess expansion of of bachata growth. 
Well, I continue to travel. Uh, I don't teach as often as I used to, but the 10 years I've been traveling, I mean, I've, I've been to um, many parts of the world. Um, I brought bachata um, all over Europe. Uh, I was very pleased to be the, the first to do uh, b- Russia, the first Russian bachata festival. When they called me up, they're like, we only want you to be the teacher and you're going to teach 12 hours. Oh, wow. So I ended up being the first instructor in Russia and I ended up teaching all the instructors with sound because I didn't speak any Russian. And I was very <laughs> pleased that I got them doing everything, learning my techniques. And uh, it was amazing. And the same thing. I went to Vietnam, taught bachata there with sound and body movement. Mm-hmm. I taught in China in 2008, right before the Olympics. Uh, I've, I've brought it out to. I've gone to Australia. I've been to. I've been to many places. Uh, um, you know, like some of these, no language, but still trying to come across the the language of dance, which is movement and exactly. sound, incorporating it together. So even though I couldn't speak with them. I could still share my passion and my techniques and help them become better dancers quickly. And and I also had a brilliant, um, in Argentina mm-hmm. in 2000, I would say 2007, 2009, I'm not sure exactly. Um, I went there with a friend who wanted to learn tango and I went to a local club and I convinced them to let me teach. And they're like, well, we could only charge like $2 a class. And mm-hmm. I was like, I don't care. It's all right. I'll teach three hours and I'm going to teach. And I had a group of 20 people and it was very exciting to know that several years, several years later that one of those students is Marcelo. He's He was three-time or two-time Argentinian champion and three schools developed as soon as that workshop was over. Wow. And, and it was amazing to hear all this a year or two later because I didn't know. I just went. I taught him. And I, I luckily, I inspired them to spread out. And now, Bachata here is massive in Buenos Aires mm-hmm. and surrounding areas. And, you know, just planting that seed. That's all I wanted to do. And any opportunity I had, I would do it, even if it was for free or just little payment. In Vietnam, they were charging a dollar for three-hour class. Mm, yeah. <laughs> I was like, it's okay. I want to teach them. And now, Hanoi has one of the best Bachata salsa scenes in, uh, in Asia. They dance fantastic there. That's awesome. That's amazing. So you've been traveling, going to all these places, teaching workshops, teaching at different festivals uh, and things like that. When did you get the idea and the inspiration to start organizing your own festival? Well, that's a good question. Um, And when all that started, I was still focused on going to city to city. And uh, I had met Rodney in San Francisco. He had hosted me numerous times and we became friends with uh due to bachata you know he was very inspired with his salsa gang in san francisco he was pushing it very much mm-hmm. and one day he just told me you know george i have a vision to to bring people together and do a festival just like in salsa and um he called me one day and just said george i think we should do the very first bachata festival in san fran i agreed he he worked out the logistics with the hotel mm-hmm. and of course i since i traveled all over i had met all the bachateros from Zeke in Chicago to Jorge and Alejandro from LA, Carlos in in San Diego to Leslie in, in LA. Um, and basically what we did was reached out to everyone, every budgetero we had met in the, in the world. And, and what happened actually, we invited everyone. We had Australia, we had Brussels, we had Sweden, 
Uh, I can't even think of all the countries, but all the main superstars now came to San Francisco in 2009. But Rodney decided, you know what, we need a test run. And so me, Rodney, and BB did a sample of Bachata Mini Festival in January in Reno. So Reno was actually the first one, but it wasn't the first one announced. We, it was actually San Fran, but we wanted to do a test run in January. And so BB was part of that, BB from Reno. And and all three of us put together a nice little event. About 150 people came. That's when uh, Summer introduced lap dance for the first time. <laughs> uh, <laughs> okay. And uh, it was mostly instructors. And Hondo brought a bus of 50 students. And that was our event. But then when San Fran hit in July, we had 400 people from all over the world dancing bachata. It was insane. Couldn't oh. believe it. Awesome, awesome, awesome. Uh, and so... You started um, with San Fran, and then you had Dallas as well. Um, tell us about the Dallas Bachata Festival and how your vision has kind of grown and your vision with that in particular, because that's definitely what our focus is going to be moving into the podcast and, and getting talking about the festival this year. Well, in 2010, I decided I would move forward and develop my own event and and just focus on the details that I think were very important for me to bring forward to an event. And so in 2010, I produced the first uh, Dallas Bachata Festival on my own. And little by little, it's grown. And, and it's been fantastic ever since. I've been growing it. And my intentions for my event is focused on learning and dancing. Those are my main two things. I have shows and they're wonderful shows, but that's that's to showcase my main artists mainly. Mm -hmm. But it's not about shows. Many festivals in the U.S. focus on 30, 40, 50 shows. That's great. People need an, uh, a place to show their talent and their hard work. But my events are more about learning. If you look at my schedules, I try to program them in a way where someone can come out learning quite a bit if you stay on track. You can stay bachata track, kizomba track. This year we have zook track. Mm -hmm. If you just stick with it, and you can do 15 hours of just Kizomba. You will definitely come out very well at the end of the event if you focus on your tracks. And that's kind of sure. what I like to develop my schedules like that. No, for sure. Um, throughout my experience of dealing with a lot of organizers, typically when your name comes up, like I know Carlos Sinta, he's one of the ones that says your word is gold. Yeah, like anything that, that like, you, like you really take care of your artists, artists is it because you, you have first-hand experience for of doing it yourself and, like and then you're just kind of passing um, that along? Or there's, there's, there's shady organizers out well, there as well. Well, you know, my whole, like I said, you know, for 10 years I've traveled and I've covered most of my own expenses and I know how difficult to, it is. But when you're running an event, you have these individuals who are coming in, bringing their talent, working hard, performing for you, teaching their heart out. And if you don't take care of them, well, they're not going to take care of your attendees and, and they're not going to work for you as well. So my job is to take care of them the best I can, you know, pamper them. They have food, they have their lodging, they have their flights taken care of. I, I like to take care of them from beginning to end because mm -hmm. um, if I don't, I might not get the same type of response that I want from them to to take care of my artists. Um, and that's the most important thing. You, you got to take care of them. And, and there's been instances where I've been an artist and the organizers they don't give you anything. They don't even know when you arrive. They don't know when you leave. <laughs> and you're, you're left to find answers for yourself. And mm -hmm. since I travel a lot, it's no problem. But 
for people that are used to being taken care of, it's very difficult for them. And they're not ever going to be treated like that at my events or anything I'm part of. Yeah, I will say you're the only organizer that definitely offers 24-7 access to, like, room. For so if you want, like, a bowl of cereal or something at 3 o'clock in the morning, like, you have a place to, to do that. And that's very rare to come across. Sometimes you only get, like, two meals a day, and then the rest of it is up to your responsibility. But you're one of the few organizers that definitely goes above and beyond in that aspect. And I respect that for sure because it's always nice to kind of know that, I mean, you're fed. So that way you can focus and get your energy and then you go teach and interact with the students and, and all that kind of stuff. So it's definitely a ripple effect. The attendees are coming for the artists and the artists are taking care of those attendees and the attendees make the event possible, you know? So I see the, the relationship between all those three members. Yes, so it's very important, very, very important to to take care of the people taking care of you. And, and it just, like you said, it's a chain reaction. Mm-hmm. And, um, and that's what I like to do. And, and, and I continue to do so. And, and in return, you know, some of these artists are promoters themselves and they see how well they're treated. And, and I've seen a few take it to heart and they bring it over to, to their festivals. And definitely that's also great because uh, that's what I want. I want to, I want to share what I do and it's like, maybe they will do the same. Yep. And you have that ripple effect of, of inspiration. Yes. All right, Jorge. Well, it's been awesome getting to know a little bit more about your history and what you've done for the bachata scene and things like that, all in in the name of dance. Let's talk about this year's festival. Obviously, you're going to have bachata. You're going to have kizomba. You're going to have a zouk track as well. And you're also at a new location this year. So talk to our audience a little bit about that. Tell them what they could expect um, from the festival this year. All right. Well, this year um, I listened and, you know, it took me four months to find a new location. And and like I'm the kind of promoter and this is just me, my personal preference. I don't like to sell anything until I can show the goods. Mm. So I didn't announce anything because I heard people's comments and I really wanted to give to people what they wanted. And in April, I was able to secure a new hotel. It's called the Sheraton DFW. Mm-hmm. And it's a beautiful venue. It's the same square footage as my previous hotel, except it's one big ballroom and a big old uh, foyer, which is what we're going to utilize as a, one of the rooms. Nice. And um, and it's it's a wonderful place. Uh, it took me a while. I got it. And, and you know what? This event is on fire because just today I was told there was five king beds rooms left only for Friday and Saturday. And that's it. I've sold my whole block. So this is this is a record. I'm three three weeks ahead of schedule. Normally that happens the week of. So uh, if you don't have your room, I would recommend try to get those last five rooms at one hundred five dollars. Other than that, the hotel is going to go to regular price. Um, so that just shows you the event is going to be very well attended. <laughs> yes, <laughs> definitely. Got- it's going to be awesome. And I'll be yes. there teaching and DJing as well. So if you guys want to get your Kizoma fix, um, definitely come out to my classes. There are going to be some other Kizoma instructors there as well. But uh, the Kizoma room will be well taken care of um, if you guys want to get your Kizoma on. Because I know there aren't that many opportunities to get like a solid Kizoma fix. And then also the social dance aspect of a lot of these festivals is really awesome because you get to social dance with not just your local people, but just people from out of state as well, you know? Yeah, we do have about 25 to 30, 30 states involved. I've been looking at the tickets and where they're coming from. And 
So we do have a good percentage of outside uh, attendees. So you'll get to dance with uh, many people from the outside. And I'm excited to hear that New York LFX is bringing 12 team members. Uh, I know that Hondo is bringing his team members from Los Angeles. Nice. And there's other teams that I won't mention until they're confirmed, but there's some other teams that are going to bring some more artists. So we're going to have some uh, awesome turnout from outside talent. And that's one of the things that makes my festival great. It's always been about 50, 50, 50 Texas and 50% outside. So it's a good blend. Awesomeness. All right. So where is the site that they can go to if they want to find out more about the festival for this year? Uh, the website's dallasbachatafestival.com. Uh, all the information's on there. My workshop schedule's up, uh, how to buy your tickets. Uh, do know all night tickets or, or day passes won't be sold until the day of the events. And that's it. Everything's on there. You get to see. I have almost 50 artists and DJs. I have over 100 hours of classes. Uh, it's a four-day event. Possible pool party if we have um, good weather. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Um, <laughs> it's Dallas, uh, but yeah, everything's on there, and 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 it's actually been organized since April. This is how detailed I am about all this stuff. I want to make sure that people know what they're going to get right from so the beginning. It's, it's awesome. Yeah. All right, Jorge, it's been awesome. At this time, I'll let I'll let you kind of take the mic and share any inspiration or advice or any messages you want to put out there for our dancing and then let people know the best way they can find out about you online. All right. Well, it's been a pleasure to be on this podcast. Thank you for having me. Um, if I have any inspirational words, is I'd like to give a little tidbit on how to learn in a Congress format. Uh, my best advice is, you know, if you learn a whole sequence from a part uh, from a teacher, a whole combination, you know, try to embrace, you know, one or two basics worth of information and embrace it and incorporate it as soon as you can versus trying to learn the whole piece or the whole combination because that makes it very difficult. But if you learn 16 counts versus 60 counts yeah a much better opportunity of getting that piece and incorporating it into your style and this is how i learned so quickly salsa i just took pieces of everyone and i blended it into my own style so this is very important and especially in an event like mine where i have 100 hours of classes definitely it might be overwhelming and advice from my festival stick with bachata if you want to learn bachata if you want to try something new try zook i have from beginner all the way to intermediate and then I have intermediate to advanced classes and the same for Zoo, uh, Kizomba. If you've never danced Kizomba, start from the very beginning boot camp and stick with a beginner track. And if you dance Kizomba, stick intermediate to advanced level. So I divide it so I can take care of everyone and for the sure. same thing for Bachata. Uh, stick with the track that you want to learn instead of bouncing around from class to class because it's, it's harder to learn actually. Um, and that's it. You know, I hope it, y- y'all can come to my Dallas Bachata Festival. It's October 27th through the 30th. Uh, if you're flying in, come into DFW Airport. There's a free shuttle that will pick you up. And there's discount codes out there. So if you're looking for a discount code, write to me. I might share one with you. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. And, and what's the best way for people to find you online? All right, my personal website is bachatafusion.com. If you'd like to learn more about me and what I've done, and I have over 30 instructional DVDs that I've been sharing around the world for the past 10 years, uh, you can buy them at bachatafusion.com. And 
you can read my life story there. That's where I have uh, the, what I've been going through the past couple of years. Awesome, right. awesome. And I'll be sure to include those links in the show notes of this podcast. So guys, you can just check out the podcast um, at my website, uh, neokizome.com, and then you'll find all the links there so you don't have to find them. Or if you can remember them, you can remember them and go directly there. Yes? Yes, sir. Thank awesome. you so much for having me. Thank you, Jorge. All right, sir. Thank you for checking out the Dance Your Heart on Fire podcast today. Be sure to check out neokizomba.com for links to everything that we chatted about today, as well as some awesome free resources to enhance your Kizomba journey. Y te me vas como aquel viento se lleva sin